Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. How's it going? Jeffrey Broger here with the Lockbox Podcast. I am here today with Mike Feller. Mike, thanks for being with us. Uh, Jeffrey, really appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Yeah, so I'm from Denver, Colorado, uh, originally from the East Coast in Virginia. But right now, I run a business called Active Pipe, which is basically a marketing automation platform that's built specifically for real estate. So I'm the chief revenue officer now, and we really focus on really helping agents stay top of mind with their their sphere of influence or you know leads that they bring into their database, and then really also understand really who to contact and when and who is who's likely to move uh, the next six to nine months. So that's kind of at a core of what we do. That's awesome. And I'm sure we're going to dive deep into that because these are all interest points and reasons why I've created the companies that I've created as well. So we could totally geek out on that and uh, talk more about it. This podcast in particular is focused on you know action items for success. And through the personal development that I've done, I've just noticed that you can think it, you can dream it, but until you actually get into action and take consistent actions over a long period of time, you're not going to see any results. So, you know, being the chief revenue officer at ActivePipe, what types of actions did you need to take on a daily basis in order to get there? Like, what would you say was a, your single most important action that has attributed most to your success? Yeah, it's a good question there, Jeffrey. I mean, I, I think from my standpoint, at least at a high level, you know, I, I come from a sports background and former life, you know, played some competitive sports. And my mindset's always been, you know, can you get 1% better every day? You know, and, and every day if you apply yourself, you, you get to the end of the day and you look at yourself in the mirror and feel like, you know, feel one, you've given it everything you have. But if you can get 1% better, it doesn't sound like much, but yeah. over time, that 1% actually has a compounding effect, right? So if you look at the end of the month, if you really apply that, and then in my role, you know, I span across a number of different areas across sales and marketing and customer success and operations. And so, you know, maybe in a given week, it might be leveling up uh, myself on the sales side of things and really focusing each day on that. And then maybe, you know, the next week it's in marketing. But again, if, if you apply, I've always felt like if you apply yourself consistently over time, that's where the big gains come from, right? It's not just the, you don't hit a flip of a switch and all of a sudden you go from zero to 16. So for me, that's just one thing that I've always tried to live by. And, and I think that still extends to the business we're running here today. No, I, I love that. That comes down to the compound effect from Darren Hardy, Slight Edge. You know, there are so many books that have alluded to that concept of slight improvements in different areas, you know, to get 10% better or to grow sales or for a real estate agent to grow transactions by 30% this year, you don't need to do one thing 30% better. It might be five things 5% better, but then the compound effect of all those is actually a 30% gain, even though it only adds up to you know 25% in the linear fashion when they are all compounded together, it has a multiplying effect. So yeah, it's, it's a, a really key concept in business. And I think real estate agents, brokers are 
very similar to entrepreneurs in their daily life. You know, when they get that license, they now realize that they have to run a business in addition to, you know, being the, the sales arm. They got to go hire, recruit, develop, train, implement systems, manage budgets. Like they have so many other things to do. So, you know, with that concept, that's so applicable to agents and, and top agents out there. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you think the industry is heading? You know, five, 10 year projections, you know, what, what are you guys doing at Active Pipe that is helping to set up agents for future success? Yeah, I think on the first question, you know, I know I'm biased, but I think the impact of technology is only going to increase. And I, and I don't think it's going to increase in a, in a linear fashion. Mm. Uh, I think it's an industry, if we're being honest, that I think is still probably 20 years behind in terms of technology. But it's not just, it's not just technology overall. Like I think, I think how brokers and agents think about technology is going to continue to change. I think when you look over the last five to 10 years, uh, and again, you know, this is my vantage point, but you know, I think there's been a lot of focus on the CRM as being a, you know, the foundation around technology. And I think what a lot of folks are finding there is that there, in some cases, and again, I'm just, I'll be very blunt here that a lot of these, sometimes these uh, CRMs they get invested in are a little bit bloated. There's a lot of different features and functionality they keep building on. And I think what we're finding is that a lot of agents and brokers actually, what they really want are some of the byproducts of these CRMs, right? Around, you know, having a really world-class marketing system or tool, you know, a really top-class transaction management uh, and having access to really powerful data, I think that will shift a little bit. I think in one other area that, again, it's probably pretty close to home and take it for what it's worth, but I, I think that, you know, brokers are going to finally realize that they can't build technology and that it's really difficult to do that. And I certainly hope they do. And I think some of them are learning the hard way about this right now, but you know, I think a fundamental business principle that I've always believed in, right, is that you know, stick to the core of what you do best and really be yep. best in the world at that, then figure out what other adjacent problems you can solve. But I think that this is an area that when you look at a lot of these bigger entities that are trying to build out technology themselves, I think, I, and again, I hope that over the next few years, they're going to figure out that that's maybe not the lane that they necessarily want to play in. So at least hopefully that answers your first question. You know, for us, I think you asked the question there, Jeffrey, around like, you know, what are we doing to help the agent and everything? I, right. I think the center, really the centerpiece for, for us in terms of what we do and why is, can we put empowering technology or life-changing technology in agents and brokerages' hands? Like that's at the fundamental core of what we do. And I think for us, it's, you know, as technology continually, you know, will continue to make gains, I think they're still going to have their place, right? They're, they're still going to be a critical part of the, the ecosystem and for us, it's how do we continue to enable that? How do we continue to level them up and make their daily lives easier, more efficient, and help them actually run more effective businesses? So that's kind of how we're thinking about it, at least in the next five to 10 years, but, and, and also how we maybe fit into the equation. Yeah, that makes sense. I like what you mentioned about brokers focusing on what they do best, even the big companies. And you know, we can just call it out. I mean, I have clients that are in with Kelly Williams, clients with EXP, clients with Compass, like all over the board. And Kelly Williams in particular is creating, you know, their their own AI and their own this and their own that. And it's like, they bit off a lot. I mean, Kelly Williams is a juggernaut in the space, sure. but they bit off a lot when they went on that venture to create their own tech. And, you know, I think you're, you're right on in that brokers especially even top one percent brokers that maybe they have a team of a hundred and they're like 
the top 0.1 of 1%. But it's like, you don't need to now like hire an internal software developer team or this and that. It's like, there are, are services out there where you can purchase the service or the product, save all that time, years of research and development, and you don't have to take any mental bandwidth to go focus on managing this project. And it'll just instantly be flicked on day one. And that's really the unique value proposition that myself and my company has you know, lived off of offering brokers for the last four years is helping them with all the digital stuff, being the digital marketing agency, purchasing their media, making sure that their Facebook ad spend is being spent properly, making sure that their Google ad spend, this and that, all that's being managed properly. And so they can then focus on the conversations, the relationships, what they do best. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's that's a fantastic point. And technology, I do agree, like in the next five to 10 years, it will only become more important than it is today. And today it's already critical, right? And so it's just going to become more and more important and exponentially so. And I also do agree with you. And we have an alignment in our company's visions that the real estate agent is still going to be an essential aspect of the transaction moving forward. It's just finding ways to leverage technology to increase opportunities, to get back to consumers faster, better, more efficiently, you know, to look at your sphere. Maybe over your career, you have 5,000, 10,000 or more people in your database. Well, wouldn't it be nice to be able to use some type of AI to know who's kind of raising their hand, like who's back in, this, in the, the buyer or the seller mentality based on their internet searches and based on these things but all that happens automatically and you just get a little push notification. So that's, you know, 100% where I see it going. You still got to go make that call, sure. but it helps you sift through that data and keep in touch with people and stay top of mind and do it at a fraction of the cost of the, the previous methods of, of taking those actions. Right? Well, absolutely. And I think to your point with, you know, if you've got a thousand people in your database, you know, I think there's a lot of data that shows that, you know, we call it between 14, 15, 16% of those people are likely going to move in the next, you know, 12 months. So how do you know who those are, right? In, in, in that case, that'd be, you know, what, 140, 150-ish people, right? So focusing mm -hmm. on your time on those folks versus, you know, really trying to do it in a manual fashion across the, the entire 1,000, that, that's really, really hard to do. If you're not really thinking about how do you create leverage, how do you create scale in terms of your efforts? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to technology, it's great but you also have to continue personally developing yourself on the mindset side, right? So I want to kind of switch gears here and talk about, you know, some great books that you've read, because I think everyone can relate on books, you know, even if you're not an agent or a broker, but you're an entrepreneur and you've read some amazing personal development books, uh, you know, I think our listeners would be happy to hear that. So what are yeah. one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Yeah, that's a good question. The one that I actually read recently was a book called, you know, The Hard Things About Hard Things, Ben Horowitz. And, and it you know, talks a lot about, you know, certainly from our space, like how do you, how, really how hard it is to build a business and really understanding some of the nuances of it. And I think when you look at agents and brokerages, like, you know, they are entrepreneurs, right? And I think that it's looking at the real elements of what it takes to really build a business, scale a business and, and understand that it's just not going to be easy all the time. And, and what do you do and how do you handle that? during those times. That one was one really powerful. I actually read that one over again recently. Mm. Um, we as a it company, that good. I, I'm sorry. It was that good. It was good. It was good. And I think very relevant, extremely relevant for me on a personal level. And also for, you know, some of the things that you could just go through uh, running a startup. 
There's another one that we've actually spent a good amount of time as a business recently reading is a book called The Advantage. And mm. The Advantage is, you know, it is a little bit about mindset uh, and there's some components of that, but it's really looking at like organizational health as a source of competitive advantage and really thinking about like organizational health as a multiplier of intelligence. And so there are different lever, you know, layers to it where, you know, at the, at the very basic level, there needs to be trust and vulnerable trust in your team. And then ultimately, once you kind of build out your team and understand how, how to work together effectively and trust each other, then there are you know, layers to really push each other. What is it on the spectrum of healthy and unhealthy con- conflicts? commitment, accountability, all the way through, you know, throughout the, all the way really up, up and down that chain. So for us, we're, again, it really just kind of comes down to is, is looking at how do we think about using organizational health as a source of competitive advantage? Because I think it's an opportunity that mm. you look at the prop tech space. I don't know how many people are really doing that right now. And I'd also venture to ask that same question, you know, even in the, the brokerage or agent space as well. And I think that the way you guys interact within your team is an opportunity to separate yourself from other folks. And I think mindset plays a big part in that as well. But those are two recent ones that spent some time with that probably come, yeah, th- those are probably the two that come top of mind. Cool, say the titles again. Uh, the first one is Hard Things About Hard Things. And then uh-huh. the second one is called The Advantage. The Advantage, nice. Yep. I like that, both those seem awesome and I haven't read either, so. One of the benefits of having a podcast and asking that question is you get amazing book suggestions. Yeah. We're not trying to give you more homework here, but. Uh, Hey, it's all good. I have plenty on my plate, but there's always room for more. So I'm curious about success in the light of the failures that it took to get you there. So, you know, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? You know, do you have like a favorite failure of yours? That's a great question. You know, we, we actually just talked about this with our team. It was, there's a quote you know, that Michael Jordan has out there that he's, you know, failed in X number of game-winning shots. You know, he's lost X number of playoff games, and that's the reason why he's successful. It's interesting. We literally talked about this in our team meeting three weeks ago. I think for one, on a personal level, you know, I actually would go back to my high school days. You know, I played sports for a while and was able to play competitively in my junior year. I ended up getting recognized as uh, really second team all state, or sorry, second team all district, which is in my city area, which for me at the time, I know it's all relative, but that was something that I had bigger aspirations to, to go and play uh, at the next level in, in college and beyond. And that really, and I found out later on that it was largely because of uh, some internal politics, but also I didn't have as good of a season as I really, really thought I would. And, you know, that really drove me, to kind of de- rededicate myself to what I was doing. I was very fortunate that, you know, kind of made my ranks, made my way up the ranks the next year and, and was able to be recognized actually as an All-American that following year and mm. got to play at uh, my dream school, University of Virginia, playing college and then had a chance to go on professionally. And that was one that, you know, I think, again, I look back at that, like it was something I really struggled with because I didn't, it was not the outcome that I wanted. Uh, and I think that really drove me. And then frankly, that type of mentality continues to drive me. I think for me personally, you know, that's one, I think from a business standpoint, I mean, look, I've been in multiple startups here and then not all of them have been successful. And I think that uh, looking back on it, there's a lot of those that 
I think from a family business perspective, we actually built a business that got to a level of profitability. We, we ended up, it was, it was a wholesale manufacturing company that sold some baked goods. And, you know, we were able to work with some blue chip brands like Kroger, uh, Whole Foods, and, and got into hundreds of actually thousands of stores. But, you know, we kind of got to this tipping point where it was really hard for us to kind of break through to the next level to scale. And we kind of tapped out after a little while. And, and that's one where I took a lot of learnings from it, frankly. And there's a lot of things that even going through that, that kind of failure to break through that next level, a lot of the learnings there has really kind of carried into some of the later, you know, ventures that I've run. And, and certainly there's a lot of things I'm still applying into the active pipe uh, experience here now. Yeah. Interesting. What sport did you play? I played soccer. Okay. And then you had the opt to play pro, did you? For a little bit? I did. I got drafted by uh, New England Revolution in the MLS and uh, or Major League Soccer. So yeah. I unfortunately just struggled a lot with injuries and that's what ultimately mm. ended up getting me out of the game. I do look at it a little bit back of regret in terms of like really, you know, once injuries kind of got me out, maybe going going back into it and giving it another go, but had a good run and, and some of my closest relationships, frankly, are, are guys that I played with. And there's still a lot of things that I know my team would probably echo this that a lot of the the sports influence is very i think transferable to business and oh yeah kind of who i am yeah absolutely yeah one of the one of the questions i asked in the interview process is did you play sports growing up oh and it's it's like it's like a simple question um but it says so much about somebody you know are they a team player are they driven are they competitive and then the other question i ask which you're welcome to to steal. I don't know if it's that genius, but I noticed long ago that high-performing people are detail-oriented. And then when I heard a public speaker say that, I was like, I want high performers on my team. I'm going to start asking, are you detail-oriented in the first application interview process? But here's what I found. When I asked that question, everyone said yes, because they want to look good on the application. (laughs) So I reframed the question, describe a time when being detail-oriented in your job helped you. Mm. And then they had to write out a paragraph describing it, right? Yeah. And so now it's it's a little bit harder to fib on. And I'll tell you what, between those two questions, if you just line up that with culture fit, it becomes so much easier to, sure. to interview and hire because yeah. you find a good culture fit and people that checked off those two questions in, in the right way for that role, boom, all of a sudden like, my hiring process got simpler. I was getting better applicants that, that were coming through to the actual interview process with me. And it was really powerful. So sports, huge. And I think it's very transferable to business. No, totally. Look, I know I'm biased. And I love the question, to be honest with you. It's, it's one of these things, you know, immediately it went back to one of the best coaches I ever played for brought up, you know, we, we had one of the bigger games where we were actually about to play a team to advance to the semifinals. We're in a tournament in Italy, about to play France. And one of the things he said to us before the game was that still sticks to me this day was the bigger the game, the smaller you think. And mm. it's, it's really easy to get caught up in the end outcome and worry, okay, well, what if, because I think we had to win by, I think, two or three goals to advance. And it was very easy to get caught up with, well, okay, well, what if that doesn't happen? You know, what's the fallout effect of that? And it was a really good reminder, just look, focus on little things, focus on you know, closing guys down in space, focus on the weight of your past, focusing on, you know, first touch and, and the little details, because if you do that, those little things and the details that you're talking about, that's what's going to translate in the end result at the end of it. And you'll look up at, you know, the end of 90 minutes and be where you want to be. 
Uh, but that's, that's right. So I love that detailed question and the, the thought process behind it. Yeah, no, I, I thank you. And it's so true. And that's the entire point of this podcast. You, you really just described it from your coach's standpoint, you know, in, in that uh, France Italy game where he's telling you the exact same thing that I am attempting to iterate in this podcast. It's like focus on the small actions, single task, Absolutely. like eliminate distractions, single task on that one most important thing that you could be doing right now. And when that compounds over days, weeks, months, years, at the end of it, you're going to be where you want to be. Absolutely. Because you weren't distracted, wasting time, getting frustrated on things you can't control, right? You focused on, boom, here's what I have in front of me right now, execute. And that's just the common thread of, of all high performers, of all legendary people. You know, you mentioned Michael Jordan earlier. He was obsessive and same with Kobe Bryant, you know, same with LeBron James. All the greats are obsessive about the craft and the mm -hmm. fundamentals and the, the, the single little action. This is what I'm doing right now. This is what I'm doing right now. So I really like that. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And this could be non-financial. It could be small or it could be something significant. But uh, I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's a good question. So I'll answer it in two ways. You know, one, you know, I made the decision to go back and get my, my full-time MBA uh, back in 2007. And that was a once I got out of sports, I started to get into uh, my first entrepreneurial venture. And what I realized out of that, there were a lot of things that went well, but I quickly learned that there were so many things about it that I really need to level up and, and learn more. And so I made that decision to kind of invest in myself and go back to school and, and was very, very fortunate to go to a, a very good program. And, and it, was, it was extremely intense. I mean, I think you know, thinking back to that first year, I mean, it was no joke. I mean, it was pretty much, you know, 7 a.m., you know, Monday through Friday. It was 7 a.m. till almost midnight, just nonstop. And, and that was, it was like that for the first year. But, you know, I still, there's so many things, and, and not just from an education standpoint, because the education was fantastic. There's a lot of things that I take away, you know, took away from that experience into, you know, and how I think about business and running businesses now, but also, you know, the relationship side of things there too. There's some some of my closest friends are still people I went through that experience with. And that's actually where I would go to, go to the next part of, you know, investing in. But I realized kind of later into my career, uh, as I got into it a little bit more, like how important relationships were to me and, mm -hmm. and how much they matter. I mean, think about how much time you spend at work and time doing things. And I've always been one of these people that gravitated probably more towards a smaller set of high quality or deeper relationships than, you know, a, more of a, I guess, a, a quantity type approach. And so, you know, I, I think it's something where I've learned that, you know, the more I'm investing in these relationships with people, whether that's people at work or friends and, and family and being and like having intent around that, I've realized how much fulfillment that's added to my life and all that. So I know that's probably not a, maybe a direct answer to your question, but, but I think that's something I've realized over time is it just put in the time, put in the work and put in the intention behind some of these relationships and certainly ones that matter a lot to me because that's been really, really important to me. So the, one of the best investments you've made is focusing on the relationships in your life. Yeah, right? I think and putting effort into it. You know, and I think for us, in, you know, if you look at a very practical example in our business, like we're a fully remote business pretty much. You know, we've, mm -hmm. we originated in Australia, so that's where our home base is. And then, you know, our core group in the U.S., we're all distributed. Uh, you know, we're, you know, in San Francisco, Chicago, 
Austin, Texas, Denver, myself, mm-hmm. uh, New Orleans, DC. So it really takes some intention, just like any relationship, to really kind of put work into it and to to really invest time. It's, it's one of these things where it's not easy because you're not sitting next to each other all the time. And you right. know, it's something that we talk a lot about with our teams and especially folks in Australia. It takes some work with it and it takes the time to ask and not just on the work-related stuff, but getting to know each other on a personal level, having a little bit of fun and and, and going beyond just kind of the day-to-day stuff. So sounds simple, sounds easy, but it's actually really, really hard to do. It is. No, it, it totally is. And getting into the habit of, of doing that. I remember I read How to Win Friends and Influence People for the, the second time. And at the time, I had a ton of things going on. And I felt like I was so focused on just getting things done that my relationships were suffering a bit. And that is just such a good reminder to just you know, take interest in other people. Yeah. And when you start to just ask them open-ended questions about themselves, they leave that conversation thinking, wow, I really like Jeff. And they don't know why, but it's because they talked about themselves <laughs> the entire time. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And you just, you get into the habit of, of going through that process. And, and of course, that habit can easily fade. And so even you saying that was a good reminder to me to, to maybe, you know, just glance through at my highlights on how to win friends and influence people because once again like that's just such a classic book and you know it's easy to be like oh yeah i already read that but you know if you haven't read it in 10 years maybe read it again (laughs) because when that stuff is fresh on your mind it's so much easier to then just go do it and Mm -hmm. just literally take 30 seconds or two minutes and just give someone undivided attention rather than like okay good bye you know um those little micro moments of like it's like a little touch just like boom okay cool hey take care and you know just those little it's like uh depositing a tiny amount into a bank but that bank compounds over time sure right and so you just you just keep making these little deposits and then when you need something from them or whatever it is that relationship is so strong i think of it in, in the client standpoint so there's a huge difference in how my client relationships are today as to when i started my agency because when i started my agency I really wanted to get amazing results for my brokers. So I was so focused on that, that I didn't take enough time to build the relationship. And nowadays, you know, when a a new broker comes on, I send them a welcome letter, send them a book, we meet, you know, however frequently they want up to, you know, once a week, but definitely at least once a month, you know, we have a longer meeting, just, hey, how are the leads coming? How's this? How's that? And we develop more of a relationship. Because then what happens, and this is so applicable, I think, to the real estate transaction as well, then when you make mistakes, it's so much easier for them to just forgive you and look past it because you have a relationship. Sure. And it's the same thing when you're working with a buyer or a seller in real estate. It's like when you develop an authentic offline relationship, now those little mistakes or or things that were overlooked or you handle something off to an assistant and the assistant dropped the ball, whatever it is those things can be forgiven because of that relationship. So yeah. your relationships are a huge part of life. And I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely. I mean, I think some, by just showing that you have the intellectual curiosity to ask people questions, that you, that you care. And to your point, by doing that, it actually, in a lot of ways, like we're talking a lot about technology or in the case, you know, real estate agents and brokers, you know, about that, that particular, you know, that type of transaction. But at the end of the day, like people are behind all of this, right? There's a real opportunity. And I think we, we really believe this is an opportunity to build up again, a, a really significant competitive advantage. And I hate to use the word stickiness behind it, but 
you're adding value beyond just the technology if you do that. And you can help people, you know, with the, you know, thinking about best practices or, you know, thinking about different ways to kind of run their business that maybe get funneled through technology or working together. But at the end of the day, again, it's, it's about people. It's about that relationship. And I think that's where you're alluding to it here. That's where I think the staying power is over time. Mm-hmm. And it really, if you come from leading from a position to help, hard to go wrong there. Hard to go wrong there. And, you know, as a startup, I guess, C-suite startup, you know, individual, someone who's, who's in it, and you mentioned you've had other startups in the past as well, you know, what is your process for evaluating what to say no to? You know, one of the things for us, I think you have to, in order to understand what to say no to, I think you have to have a really good foundation understanding of your strategy. You know, and I think your overall strategy really should provide a framework in how you make decisions. When we talk about strategy, we're very close to understanding, like we need to have a deep level understanding what our strategic anchors are, because then when certain opportunities come up, then you can start to look at what do you say no to? Like if you look at Southwest Business as an example, Southwest Airlines, right? Their entire business is is around minimizing the amount of time that a plane spends on the ground, right? And that's that's the single metric that I think they built their business model around. And that translates itself into how they educate and train their customer support people, how they, you know, what type of airplanes they use, they're all the same, to really minimize the number of parts that their breakdowns they use, the airports they go to. So I think the point there is like, I think their strategic anchors, I think, tend to be like around convenience, easy, low cost, that type of stuff, right? Might be butchering them a little bit. But the point is, when we make decisions, we have to understand what those anchors are. What are, you know, for us, it's like, you know, is this something that is going to make the product easier to use? Is it something that's going to help us uh, deepen some of our relationships with clients? Is it something that's going to add long-term value to the the product. So, and those are just a couple of them, but I think if you understand what those are, when opportunities come up and if you understand that your strategic direction, these anchors, then you have a framework at least to, to understand and decide what do you say yes to and what do you say no to? That's at least mm-hmm. how we think about it. But I think it's got to start and end with strategy and having a clear direction on what you're going towards and, uh, and developing some anchors around that. Because if you don't have that, there's a high likelihood that you're going to end up going in directions that probably are not going to be the best ones for you or for the business. Yeah, such a good point. I love how you brought up strategy. One of my best mentors said, one minute of planning will save two minutes of execution. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's so true. Yeah. It's, it's so hard sometimes to break away and take that hour to, to plan your week, to do that yearly retreat with your team and really break down what worked, what didn't, you know, identify your KPIs. Are we still measuring the same things? Does this make sense? You know, asking those strategic questions because you're an athlete. Once you're on the field and it's the final minute and, you know, all cylinders are are running, you don't have time to strategically think. That needs to have been already done in the practice, right? And so I think about that a lot in business. And it's a great reminder to me, even right now in this moment, like those weekly plannings that I do, the, the monthly journaling reflection, like all the little strategy pieces along the way are helping to keep the ship or, you know, you mentioned Southwest Airlines, to keep the plane on path. You know, the plane from New York to LA is off course 99% of the time, but they land at the exact time on the LA tarmac right when they're supposed to because they constantly course correct because they know where they're going. 
And so having that strategy in place is critical. I, I like that. It makes it easy to say no. You're like, nope, that's not getting us, that's not in line with our strategy, I should say. You know, it's not getting us closer to the goal. Exactly. Yeah, that's just where you need that framework to be able to make those decisions. And is that one of the big pieces? I mean, you can't boil down an MBA into just that one thing, but the importance of strategy and, you know, business planning, is that a major value that you gained from your MBA or is that more experience just in the field? No, I think it definitely is. Uh, You know, and I think, you know, our program, I went to the University of Virginia and our program was very case study driven, very um, general management focused. And so strategy is definitely one of them. This is really, and that's something you learn. But at the end of the day, there's no replacement for being in the chair and actually doing it, right? I think that was definitely one thing I took away from. And I think also probably one of the biggest pluses, I think, of that experience, one of the biggest things that I've taken throughout my career is just learning how to trust my own judgment and living with decisions and all that. I think that's something that you just, you know, over time, you kind of build up that skill set around being able to make decisions with incomplete information and or some ambiguity and all that. And then also, you know, knowing how to live with your decisions and then what do you do and then learn from them. I think those were some things that I think an MBA and certainly the experience that I went through really, I think, set myself up for that next stage in my career. But at the same time, again, there's really no replacement for actually being in the seat and having to actually, like I said, live by the things that you're doing. One thing to do in a classroom, whole another thing to be able to do actually out in the out in, uh, real life, if you will. No, absolutely. Yeah, nothing like the actual experience. So I'm curious if you have any quotes that you live by. Is there anything that has resonated with you like from all the way when you were a kid and an athlete all the way until now or, or maybe something recent, something that was an insightful quote saying, something you live by? There was one early on was probably not going to do it justice, but it was really around what matters is what you do when nobody's looking. Mm. And that was one that, you know, even in the early days when I'm playing, to be clear, Jeff, former athlete, the athlete days were a long time ago. But uh, during that time period, I mean, that was one of the things that I always took a lot of pride in, in terms of applying my work ethic and how I devoted myself to fitness, the training and, and all of that, because it's one thing to train hard, you know, during the practice when the coach is there or your other teammates are there, but it's, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing when you, are you getting up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. before anybody else is up, you know, to do certain things and nobody's watching at that point. Like that's something that really stuck with me throughout my athletic career. And I think it's the same thing now too, because you know, for me, you know, I'm tasked with running, uh, you know, our entire U.S. business. And I originally had to, I was a first employee here in the U.S. that had to build out the entire go-to-market strategy and build it from the ground up. And I was a, the only person here for a long time. And, and the rest of our company was half a world away over in Australia, right? So nobody, nobody yeah. would have seen what I was doing and, and nobody could really watch that all the time. But I also took a lot of pride in the fact that they don't need to be and they didn't need to be. And, and it was something that I think we've also... I'm really proud because I think we built out that same type of mentality within the U.S. team because, again, we're all distributed. And I think it's something that if you take true ownership over your domain, there's a lot of empowerment and pride and, and sense of ownership and that you can take out of that that I think is really something that drives me. So that quote, I think, is, that's definitely impacted me both in the sports, you know, the, the sports career as well as the business one. Yeah, you're celebrated in public for what you do in private, right? Yeah, there you go. That concept. Yeah. I like that. And I am curious, you know, we have done a good job not talking about active pipe. So I think it's, it's, (laughs) 
I think it's time to uh, just shed a little bit of light. You know, if you just want to spend a minute or two describing what Active Pipe is. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that though, Jeff. You know, as a marketing automation platform, you know, again, we're really centered around helping agents and brokerages uh, stay in touch with their sphere, with their clients, with their leads, and then also help them understand really like who are the people that are going to be high value, like who, who are the people that are likely going to in a short time horizon. You know, for us right now, largely centered around email marketing, but we're We've, uh, we've originally launched some capability in Australia around SMS and texting. And so what we're trying to do is, is really be best in class around that sort of middle of the funnel, that middle funnel management. That's where we're trying to be best in class for what we do. And then, you know, as we look at over the next couple of years, like I think that's the core challenge that we're solving here. But we're also looking at other ways where can we look at other adjacent problems that we can solve? Um, you know, we've we recently launched a a platform, or excuse me, we recently acquired a company called Homeprezo in, the, in this last year that really has helped us level up the content we can provide agents that, you know, we can do some really cool things around dynamic CMA videos or interactive marker or landing pages and stuff like that. So we're kind of looking at how do we expand the suite while still really remaining core to what we do uh, and true to that. And, and, you know, the other side of it is, you know, for us, it's, we're heavily focused right now on the real estate vertical. That's really where I think we've had a lot of success. And we tend to do most of our business at the brokerage level. And, you know, we've got a couple, we've got a few hundred brokers now on the platform here in the US and growing at a really good clip there. And so, again, it's, we're largely focused on the real estate space now, but we have application across mortgage, insurance, commercial, auto, et cetera. And so for us, it's not really a question of if, but more a question of when we jump into some of those other verticals. Got it. That makes sense. And, you know, email, SMS follow-up is critical for staying top of mind. Do you have things already built out for buyer journey, seller journey, maybe like a more informational one for a first-time home buyer? You have that because you're specific to real estate. Does when someone comes online, does it include things like that that are pre-built? They've already been tested across hundreds of users. Is that the kind of experience that ActivePipe offers? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for us, we're thinking about, you know, how do we use some intelligence to one, drive the type of content that we can send to, you know, our, the agent's clients, but also to then again, understand kind of what's actually happening in the database. And so for us, you highlighted a great example of that. We can build out these full-blown customer journeys that go six to nine to 12 months out that frankly, the more people interact with them, the smarter they get. You know, so we can see as an example, you know, we can see, Jeff, what listings you're interacting with. And so let's send you more of those or send you more content that they're going to cater to your interest. So one, our system gets smarter and smarter the more people interact. And so those customer journeys become much more tailored, much more personal, much more relevant, but also directly to your question. Yeah, that's part of what I think one of our big value adds as a company that for us going deep into real estate I think we can provide a very different customer experience than a HubSpot or MailChimp or Constant Contact or some of those guys. They're fantastic at what they do. But out of the box, we can help these uh, brokerages or agents launch you know, first-time homebuyer campaigns, launch you know, post-transaction campaigns that are specific to those, or, or sorry, customer journeys, right, on a full-blown basis. So I think that's where we can look at across our you know, tens of thousands of agents and hundreds of brokerages and say, okay, these are some of the things that are really, really working well. 
and build some best practices and optimize some of that stuff. So those are some things that we can certainly do above and beyond just the technology itself. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I like the intelligence of following up with dynamic listings based on what they've interacted with. You know, that type of functionality with follow-up is definitely cutting edge for the real estate space. Yeah. You know, it having that type of dynamic follow-up and just not being so static, like, you know, your, your brokerage wrote this email campaign 10 years ago and you're still sending it <laughs> to everybody regardless of their journey. It's like, or, or your mega box CRM from whatever it is, KV Core, Sync, I mean, you name them, they have these canned responses, you know, but if you don't go put in that work to actually update them to you as the agent of the broker, then it's not going to be nearly as effective, sure. but that takes work. And that takes time. And so, you know, maybe consider active pipe, which could come in from day one and have a much more updated dynamic customer journey for the buyers and the sellers. So I, I think that's, that's hugely valuable. It's really cool. No, thank you. And I think you highlighted there is the difference between static and dynamic, right? And, and doing things in a dynamic way. And I think, and I'm sure you've experienced this a lot in your careers that I think there tends to be a stigma around automation, that automation has to be generic or it has to be stale. And I think in a lot of our clients, you know, or not just our clients, but a lot of people that we see in our space that the idea of automation is, okay, let's just send out a monthly newsletter. Okay, great. You can do that and you can have that recurring, but we got to really think about how do we meet the buyer where they are or where do we meet, how do we meet your client where they are in their specific journey? The only way you do that is by hitting different nurturing points that if you can automate that you can still automate those things and still do it in a dynamic way but i think there tends to be a resistance around that simply because i think there's historically or traditionally been this stigma that it has to be stale or it has to be generic but i think we're kind of breaking that mold yeah absolutely and that's been a big focus of you know my company particularly steezy digital and then realnurture.io those two companies which which i'm founders of they focus on basically conversational AI and having automated responses going out on behalf of the broker or the agent to the buyer or the seller. Now that's hosted on other Facebook Messenger, SMS text, um, you know, things like that. But the thought that it has to always be, hey, let me go grab somebody, like a, a standard type of chatbot response where the, the chatbot failed and didn't know what to say. So it's like, let me go grab someone. Yeah. That's not what this is, sure. right? This is, this is actually one by one of the thousands of questions that have come into our clients over the years. We have tied those to a human, human-typed response where it's like, no, this question should go here. This question should go here and trained an AI database so that now when someone asks a buying question, boom, we get them to either a home search or call now or you know, ask a selling question, hey, I got a house on, and they put an address in. We then walk them through the selling process, call now, schedule a call. So the, to the point of automation with today's technology does not have to be static. It does not have to be generic. It can be the right piece of information at the right time branded to you as the broker, the agent. And that's the type of stuff that, that you know, ActivePipe and then my companies are, are offering, which is phenomenal. Like that's, that's exactly where I think things are going because as you grow as a broker, the traffic to you becomes almost unmanageable. Yeah. You know, if you do have tons of agents and tons of inbound leads, 
then the problem is not lead generation. The problem is nurture and conversion. Exactly. And so that, that's always been a big focus of mine. And I'm, I'm glad you, you, you guys see that as well. Oh, 100%. And, and look, again, I know we conscious of where we come from, but there's really no point in pouring a bunch of fuel on lead gen if you don't have the right systems of follow-up in place. And if yep. you don't have those and you have some leads that fall through the cracks, you're going to have a lot of leakage. And, and unfortunately, you're not going to, it's not going to be an investment to, that's, that you're going to see the return that you want, right? So for us, it's if we can get those systems in place to nurture, to follow up, to making sure that those are really, really, really strong, then go and pour some fuel on lead gen because you've got the right processes in place to be able to support that. That's right. Yeah, you've got to be able to convert them. And that's key. Exactly. So I'm curious, Mike, is there anything that I should have asked you or maybe a question from earlier that you'd like to expand upon? I think the only thing I would say is when I talked about the organizational health side of things, you know, within our business, I mean, I think that's an area where when we look at our opportunity in this space, I think we've got a very, we're very fortunate that I think we add a lot of value, you know, to an agent and a brokerage's lives, but we're also looking at like, how do we as a business learn to kind of operate more effectively and then more efficiently to be able to capitalize on that and be able to get that in more and more people's hands? Uh, that's one thing that I think that is, it's an opportunity or, or an example that we just, I think we do that a little bit differently than some other folks in the space. So I don't know if that's well necessarily to, to highlight, but we're looking at, you know, and it really is just centered around people. It's really around the fantastic group of people that have been very fortunate to work with and build this business around that are really kind of creating these opportunities. But I think it's, you know, when you look at this space again, it's, yes, we talk a lot about technology. We talk about a lot of what we do, but it really is about the people side of things. And, and certainly for us, we're at this tipping point in the scale of the business where, you know, in terms of the number of people we have on the team, that those kind of things, especially for entrepreneurial, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, people, you know, building out startups that it's basically going to be at the hands of your people. Whether or not you're successful is, mm-hmm. is going to be really contingent on your ability to attract and retain top talent and be able to work really efficiently together. But that's so I'm not sure if that's relevant to what you're asking, but that was one thing that kind of came top of mind there. No, it is. I mean, the listeners of this podcast are top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers. So the fact that they need to recruit and retain top talent is a pain point they're well aware of. And, you know, that, that organizational health piece is such a great point to bring up because you get to a point where you no longer can do everything. And a lot of my listeners are way past that point, but they are at the point where they're trying to recruit, they're trying to at some day retire, right? Like they're, they're 55, they've been doing this for 20 years, they don't wanna keep doing this forever. Yeah. So they want to either have a self-sustaining team with a basically an apprentice that has taken it over or to sell that thing and cash out, right? But in order to sell it, they can't be the person who's producing 80% of the revenue through their own transactions, right? They need to have trained, hired, and re- recruited and developed a team to replace themselves in every day-to-day activity. And that comes down to effective recruiting process and then retaining them through organizational health. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. Now, I think you're going to see over time, like in any business, you hit these inflection points at you know, say five, 10, 20, 50, 100 employees, right? And as you hit those inflection points, again, the importance of people just, it really increases over time. Yep, absolutely. 
Well, awesome. Uh, how can listeners contact you if they're interested? Email is totally fine with me. Uh, my email is just mike.feller at activepipe.com. So feel free if there's any any questions or anything that I could be helpful with. I think email is probably the easiest one uh, to get to. Kind of ironic that we're an email marketing. <laughs> yeah. Try and make I was it easy. Say. Yeah. <laughs> or hit awesome. me up on LinkedIn either. LinkedIn as well. There you go. Mike Feller, you'll see his name in the uh, description below. So thank you for being here, Mike Feller, the Chief Revenue Officer of ActivePipe. I really appreciate your insight, you know, not only from your business acumen, but also the uh, sports and your professional sports experience. You know, one of the coolest things that I remember most from this interaction was that coach advice in the France-Italy game. Like that's like a a really cool sticky story that, you know, I, I think, That was an amazing thing for you to share and and very insightful for our listeners. So thank you. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks for being on. Yeah, really appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.